Like, how do we get these students and ourselves to to catch fire on on a topic and and where homework isn't really this drudgery, but it's more about trying to perfect a a skill or or a um, or do a deep dive on something. Throw out homework, worksheets, ominous buildings, hall passes, herds of students, grades, all of it. What would you build? If you start with the amazing thing that is a young person, how would you honor all of their strengths and abilities? How would you remember that this is about them? If Dewey was right, an education is not preparation for life. Education is life itself. We need to do more than rebuild schooling. We need to rethink living. Welcome to the Education is Life podcast, where we are having honest discussions on the state of education, where it is, where it can be, and all of the stories in between. Uh, so I'd like to welcome Scott Leonard to Education is Life. I've known Scott for a few years now, and he has a great combination of a zest for life and a love of learning that is truly contagious. He's always sending me intriguing videos and are dropping off fantastic books for me to read. Uh, just trying to keep up with him is an effort all by itself. But uh, Scott, pleasure to have you. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Rob. I'm excited to be here, part of the podcast today. Even under these circumstances, we find ourselves in week nine of quarantine, I guess. Yeah, so we are, we are in the COVID uh, pandemic, which uh, has certainly made things uh, interesting, uh, which probably means uh, one of us, at least, is in pajama pants. Right. <laughs> well, one way to interpret education as life is that, you know, education is a lifetime process with no true beginning and no true end. It's just something that happens when we're actively engaged with the world. And I think you really represent that. And so, like, I'm just curious, what are you learning about now? Right now has been a, a fascinating time to to dive into something. And for me, it's been botany lately. I, I've started a, a, a course with Mia, and it's, it's called The Love of Nature. And I've been developing what I hope I can can share with you as, as a possible curriculum or my pitch, if you like, for some Greenfields Griffins in the coming session. Uh, I'd wanted to do it earlier, but I didn't feel like it was fully baked. So now I've been able to, to spend some time and really investigate uh, what a love of nature is and, and, um, and do so through botany. So at first, the course was just botany and learning about plants. I realized I actually want to dive a little deeper into it. And I want the learning to, I want to come out of that experience with my daughter truly loving nature. That's the objective of this what? course we're, we're working on. So what does that mean for you? What does a loving nature mean? Because I feel like there's a, there's the old naturalist kind of viewpoint. Um, there's a kind of the scientific, there is the one with the earth viewpoint. I think a lot of people would define loving nature differently. That's true. I think for, for me and perhaps for, for my daughter now too, it's become loving nature really means having sustained attention to whatever it is our topic might be. And this week it's leaves. We're going through photosynthesis and we're, we're really deep diving into to the, the elements of uh, what makes a, a leaf breathe. It's, it's a fascinating and incredible journey for both of us. And uh, I, I think we're coming away with a love of nature in the sense that we're, we're learning that everything we look at, the more we look at it, the more we can learn. So as a side to this, and in preparation for, for building this with Mia, I, I've been learning more about this, this fellow named Luis Agassi, a, a Swiss biologist from like the 1800s, who studied under Alexander von Humboldt, and for whom his students had nothing but fear of him. <laughs> his approach to learning and, and the love of nature was to challenge these students to observe, to carefully observe. So there was a famous 
parable of the sunfish parable where he had a student come in and say, hey, I want to be a, a famous geologist like you one day. And the student was, was sitting at his table and he said, well, here's a sunfish, write a description of it. And so he had him look at the sunfish and an hour or two later, he had dutifully drafted his, his first piece of, of, of writing about the sunfish. But Agassiz was looking for much more than that. And the student, when he later described it years and years later, the importance of forcing him to really look at that fish day after day. I think he spent a week with this rotting piece of flesh and he came away with some real insights. And I think for us in this little course we're working on now, it's, it's very similar. We're taking each little thing and we're, we're just trying to zero in on it and, and practice focused attention. And for me, loving nature is about that. It's, it's having a, a chance to really appreciate the details around us uh, and do so in a new and fresh way. About three quarters of the way in, we're about to start plants and dangerous plants comes up next week. <laughs> what plants are in your yard that you can't eat and your cat shouldn't be eating, you know? <laughs> so, so it should be fun. I haven't given her a fish to stare at for a week yet. But uh, we start each class with a quote, and then we deep dive into a particular part of the class. And it's just been, it's been a real joy. It's been a joy to put together. It's been a joy to, to sit with my daughter and see her start to really, you know, go from being, Ugh, I'm with dad now. Okay, we're doing the dad class, to starting to, to pick up pen and paper and, and do homework, that terrible word, homework. But do it with the kind of intensity that I, that I was hoping would, she would catch fire. And it took a while. And that's, uh, that's something I wanted to chat with you about. It's like, how do we get these students and ourselves to, to catch fire on, on a topic and, and where homework isn't really this drudgery, but it's more about trying to perfect a, a skill or, or, a, um, or do a deep dive on something. Well, I think that's one of the challenges of uh, the word itself, homework, right? Where one way of defining it is simply work being done at home. Uh, but what what traditional school has made it into is this monotonous, uh, uninteresting, worksheet-driven, no-value-add experience that is just taking away from me being me. It's almost like it's not just the work that's happening um, and that you're being forced to do it, but it's at the expense of what else, right? I mean, it's almost the equivalent of being in a you know 40 hour a week job or 50 hour a mm-hmm. week job and your boss also expecting you to go home and do another 15 to 20 hours uh, at home where it's a it feels like a, a taking mm-hmm. and so when we talk to students uh, you know we obviously we don't assign any homework but in any given week 30 to 50% of the students decide to be doing work at home uh, towards the things that uh, they need to do to get their badges done or they're really excited about project at that time or whatever it is. So getting that, that work done at home, one, one of our big goals is to kind of blur that school versus home, um, that this is the type of learning that happens at school, this is the type of learning that happens at home, I think is a false dichotomy that takes away that joy of learning and gives quote unquote, learning a bad name. And I think Mm -hmm. what you're tapping into is a different piece and a different challenge, which is there's a contract I have with with students, right? Where if I'm going to take up their time, I am going to make it valuable. And if it no longer is valuable for them, 
we will stop and we will find something else to do, uh, which is a very kind of Summerhill education type model. The, the learner and the expert need to come to an agreement on why they're there and what they want out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The double coincidence of wants, to use some old economic language, um, right. is, what, uh, is what makes it possible. And I think for someone like you who loves learning at such, in such a deep way, who's always wanting to share all the amazing things and the mysteries of the world and all the stuff that you're finding, we just want our kids to grow up faster to appreciate it all. <laughs> <laughs> and dialogue with me more on it, you know, yes, yes. Yeah, I remember when we first went down and we did our six months in Central America, and I was like, oh, man, we can do this whole thing on volcanoes, right? We're going to this volcano. We can do the history of volcanoes, you know, all this amazing stuff. And, I, you know, I think my oldest at the time was eight. And it was just like, you know, my, my vision of like the blog with the uh, website and the modeling and like, no, right? <laughs> too much too soon. Yep. Too much too soon. You know, yep. you know what they take away from that moment? Holy cow, that's a volcano. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and that, that's the piece that we can't squash with all the other work, right? If we want to keep people to being lifelong learners and being excited about learning things, we can't take the excitement out and replace it with drudgery. Um, right. It was actually a video you sent me. I was watching a video by Seth, Seth Godin uh, recently. Mm. And yes. uh, he was talking about like, if you wanted to get people excited about baseball, you wouldn't go and get all the stats from all the major league baseball players, have them rank them all by order and then figure out what, like who would come away enjoying baseball doing that. Right. It's just, the way in which you focus on topics, the way in which you bring experience and life to that mm-hmm. learning, then you're going to get deeper learning than you've ever had before. But if it's all about getting through the nuts and bolts and the stuff that you're needing to memorize for the next test, like, good luck. Good luck. And I, you know, it's so true. And I, I was sitting, you know, thinking yesterday about our conversation today and, and what I think education is and and it's such a it's such a big term, a loaded term, and I and I I find unpacking it, you can go so many different directions with it. But in the end, I really just want it to be fun again. <laughs> I want to make America great again. I want to make education fun again. It is a process of learning, and I think Rob, maybe you'll agree, but I think it's it's a process of learning how to learn. And I think education, if we can redirect it in that area. You know, for not just the kids, but for ourselves, we can really come away with a lot of uh, a lot of valuable skills. And I, you know, I've taken this this botany course as a sort of experiment of of sorts um, to see not only how my daughter's doing with her learning, but what her behaviors and practices are and habits. You know, how does she take notes? Does she take notes? Does she ask questions? Is there a, a hand that's going up and down? And I've been delighted to see a little bit of all of those things, Rob a leaning forward, uh, an engagement, questions, there's the whiteboard, she's, she's eager to grab a, a dry eraser and start, and start sketching things. And I just watch her at the age of nine, and I just, I can't believe it, because I, I didn't grow up like that. Uh, you know, I sat in the schoolroom with 35 or 37 other, other kids, staring at one probably underpaid person at the front of the, the room for, a few, for many years until I was pulled out of that system and put into a whole different system 
and homeschooled. What age, and, what age did you start homeschooling? So we, I started uh, right before high school. Uh, and my sister who's about a year and a half younger than me also started there. So I'm going to say, you know, sixth grade, seventh grade ish right in there. So if you like what you're hearing or you don't, and you want to come on and talk about it, go ahead and visit uh, greenfieldsacademy.com and, uh, and let us know that you want to be on the podcast and you, you want your opinion to be heard. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, eight, you know, seventh, seventh and eighth grade, something like that. My older brother, the three of us were all sort of yanked out, put into a homeschool program, um, largely for faith-based reasons, where the family had decided, had taken a, had canvassed the, the options. And, and, and I grew up in a small area, rural area of Western Colorado. And my father had a, you know, you're not going to, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll remember this. You'll remember this, but that's back when we used to, we used to flip through yellow page books to find dentists and you know, <laughs> mechanics. And my father would sell those yellow page books and he would travel the state to do it. And so it was a combination of, of wanting to pull out of, out of a system that didn't seem to develop character qualities to the extent they thought were desirable and, and frankly, for convenience so we could be with our, with our father. And so that started in the 80s and moved, in, moved us into the 90s before we had Google and before we could, you know, uh, use emails and that type of thing. But going from one system to the other system was a shock, shock for the family, shock for us, you know. And I think what you're doing at Greenfields Academy is, is also shocking, frankly. It's, it's taking a real bold approach and a decisive one and, and saying now is the time. <laughs> now is the time to really deliver on, on what you're, you're saying, the contract with the student and say, we got to do it a different way. We have to rethink the way we're, we're delivering services around education and, and learning. And I'm so grateful to my parents who were pioneers in this, this area. Okay. I mean, homeschooling wasn't unknown in Western Colorado in those days. We had a community of, of folks uh, but it certainly wasn't as welcomed, I think, as it was years later. Yeah, I think homeschooling goes through cycles of uh, being kind of like looked on as a true alternative and one where you're really being very thoughtful parents of how you want your child to uh, to learn to learn and what to learn about and values and and all those types of things. Um, yep. You know, from from that standpoint, I mean, your parents made a pretty big step, and they obviously felt an obligation uh, about education that they were willing to take on themselves rather than uh, have someone else do. As a parent, what what do you feel like you're and and you're in the middle of like creating, you know, enrichment content for uh, for your daughter, and you know, showing that you know how much you showing her what your values are in some ways just by modeling without necessarily even needing to say it. But what, you know, as parents, what do you think our main obligations are to our children? It's such a big question and an important one. And I, I think the, the primary obligation is to just love the child, just be there for the child and just to provide a, a chance to, to bounce ideas off of. And, and I think it's been a really interesting last month and a half to, to practice that. At home, in the context of this curriculum add-on that we've done, in the context of trying to understand what's happening in the world <laughs> and what's going to happen next, 
a lot of uncertainty for the adults. Imagine what it's like for the kids. Uh, and not, frankly, Rob, having the answers. You know, she, she kind of looks up at, at me and uh, the other day we're crossing the street and she says to me, she says, Dad, I'm looking at uh, people like I used to look for cars, you know? And I just take a, a gut shot like that and I think, gosh, is this going to be the new normal now? And what does it mean for, for dads and moms? How are we supposed to, to metabolize those kinds of changes? And, and, and really, there's no playbook. But what gives me comfort is that, is that I'm seeing in her a, a commitment to basics, you know, just, just human kindnesses and, and character qualities that I think are, are, are best developed at places like Greenfields where it's a priority to, to uh, bef- you know, the testing stuff isn't as important as, as, the, as the, the social emotional piece. And so I, I have to say, I've been very, very impressed having had a chance to see it uh, in my own living room. And so I guess my obligation as a parent is, is changing as she gets older. I'm going to have to start holding the keys hostage, I guess, at some point. Um, <laughs> uh, but in the end, I, I don't think that it really does change that much, does it? You know, the, the, the the obligation as a parent, it, it continues it's to, to love and to just kind of be there. Um, the thing with education, though, is as uh, what's our, our, our theme here is education is life. It's just so true because if I can empower her to ask, ask questions, if I can empower her to, to pause and to look at things attentively, to really observe, I really think there's so much power in skills like that. And if we can impart even just some of those things, I think we will, we will have done our best, you know, our level best. I think it's easier now in this environment from that mindful type viewing of the world, or as you're talking about, you know, when uh, someone says, hey, go look at this fish for two weeks and uh, come back and tell me what you learn. Yeah. Uh, the, the typical American experience leading into this, you know, safer in place type stuff. There was no space for that. There was no time. Um, every moment needs to be filled with something and mm-hmm. whether that ends up getting, getting filled with a uh, social media or whatever, right. Gaming, I don't know mm-hmm. what everybody's uh, doing these days, but that time just to sit with the world and, uh, and sit with what's around you and observe and appreciate the, the beauty and the, the excellence of of the universe, I think is something that we just haven't had much time to talk about. Mm -hmm. We did a family meeting last week or something relatively recent. And one of the things a number of people talked about was how much more they are feeling creative Mm -hmm. um, and how more, how much more of the creativity they see in their kids just by taking away all of the have tos that need to go on. And I think that's one of the foundational pieces of being human. And if we really want to leverage humanity, we need to find how we can best feed it. And I think Mm -hmm. taking away some of the noise is such a big part of being able to do that. And that's one of the reasons why we don't assign homework at Greenfields is to to give Mm -hmm. space for your own exploration. And hopefully we are giving you some of the tools. But... Mm -hmm. Um, this time has afforded the ability to, to see your kids at home and what they're like in their 
semi-natural environment. You know, we, we talk about like for most parents dropping your kids off at any school, right. is like a black box. You're not really sure what goes on in there. You kind of hope, you know, hope things are going well and you judge it based on whatever data yeah. has come out. Uh, now, like we're almost on the other side of that where the kids are all at home and we're putting this stuff out and we're like, I don't know what's happening in that black box. Exactly. Um, it's a reverse mirror now. And, uh, you know, one of the things I enjoyed, Rob, before the lockdown was dropping me off at school and seeing the lunge for the front door, the excitement to get inside. And not just her, but all the kids running down the, the sidewalk. It speaks volumes to me about what's happening inside, inside those walls. You know, I, I had to take a, I studied philosophy in college, you know, a billion years ago. And I remember one of the, one of the exam questions was, uh, walls of a church, walls of a school, walls of a prison, discuss. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I remember seeing the, the locked front door and, you know, there's a staff member from Greenfields there to welcome the kids. And the just thrill of being there and starting their day, what's even more crazy to me is that at pickup time, I'll go and, and if Mia has to do a long day, the reluctance to leave at 6 p.m. And I think to myself, as I drive away, I'm thinking, do I have a job that, that furnishes me with those, that kind of emotional strength? And, and, I, and, and what is it that's happening in, in that, behind those walls that generates that type of response? And it wasn't just me. It was, again, it's like every single kid who's, who's locking up their bikes and coming inside to try and get, get, to get a handle on the next uh, goal and, and a, you know, agenda item and stuff. So I think it's, it's you're right now where we're not doing the drop off and the black box thing. Now the black boxes are in each of our living rooms, I suppose. And, and we're, we're going to have to download, I think, and see. So, so what, how have things changed now that we're not uh, collectively behind that wall, building that energy in person? Is it something we're able to do through the robots, you know, digitally and, and, and how successful has it been? It's going to be a real interesting question. Yeah. I think uh, there's been a really interesting experience from our end because we get to see lots of kids, right? Where you and your situation mm-hmm. get to see one. Um, some kids are thriving even more in the at-home version of things. And some kids are really struggling. And, uh, you know, some of it's that uh, mm-hmm. the social connection, and that cuts both ways. Sometimes it's the social connection of like, hey, when I'm around my friends, what I really want to do is be around my friends. And so that, you know, it interferes with uh, my focus on some different things. Um, or... Uh, the ones who are like, and so they're getting more stuff done at home. Uh, and so they're getting their work done. Uh, but they're really struggling for that informal social piece where, you know, the, the surveys we've done have shown that we're doing a better job of getting uh, that social need met than other schools uh, at this time. But it's still kind of rough where like, I know, like just watching the kids outside every day when they're all together and loving playing mm-hmm. and being goofy and being physical, right? Part, right, part of right. being human is being physical. 
And that doesn't happen in the same way. And so it's an interesting thing to see. But to, to your point about kids not wanting to leave, I don't know if I've shared this story with you before, but it was in our first year. And, you know, the first year of any startup is always a bit crazy. And uh, sitting in the back uh, and opening circles going on out front, we were in a small 1,500 square foot space with 15 kids at the time and opening circles going on. And they're starting to go through just like, okay, here's the schedule for the day. I'm fighting uh, to get through one other startup thing. Just, I can't even remember. There were so many. And uh, suddenly everyone starts booing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like what is happening now? Because <laughs> when, as you're, when you oftentimes when you're like the head of school or the head of any organization, like you don't get to hear all the good, but all the bad funnels yeah. through you. Right. So right. this was one of those times where I'd been, I've been fighting with a bunch of the bad and I'm like, okay, what now? You gotta be kidding me. And what happened was uh, they had gone to dismissal. And they all started to boo dismissal. Wow. And it was, uh, you know, at my old school, this was, that was my favorite part of the day. I couldn't wait to get out. And this is the, it's mm. the worst part of the day here. I just wish I could stay all the time because it's so great. And uh, we had a little competition that year too about um, uh, how many points. And if as a team you earn this many points, you could have a pizza party or you could have whatever. And I think pizza party might've been the highest level thing that we came up with. And uh, they mm. said, hey, what if we got a million points? Could we do a sleepover? And I was like, you really want to like, just never go home, do you? And so uh, we had some challenges. We had a, you know, a five-year-old who was afraid of the dark. We had a type one diabetic. We had some issues mm -hmm. about doing a full sleepover. Didn't seem, uh, the kids decided it wasn't equitable for everyone. So they did a, a phrase that certainly didn't exist when I was a kid called a sleep under. And so they stayed at school from eight in the morning until 10 o'clock at night because they wanted to, uh, yeah. because, yeah. you know, the, the environment that we've created, kids find, can know it's about them right away. Even when we do an information session and kids come in who've never been to Greenfields before, like they can feel that the, the environment is for them and it's about them. And we try to make it a very comfortable place, a very welcoming place and a place where and the more time you spend there, you know that you are appreciated as a person, that you count, your opinion mm -hmm. counts, your actions count. If you see something mm -hmm. going great, you can recognize it. If you see something that needs to be better, you can help make it better. I think it, it's just a very natural and human environment. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can create that type of environment, the learning is going to just keep coming in ways that we can't, we can't, you can't stop a kid from learning. Right. It's, it's, it's a freight train. And, it, and I, for some reason it gets derailed in, in various systems and ways. I, unfortunately, but there's something that happens behind those walls that is just magic. And yet there's also an accountability piece, which I've really appreciated seeing like the, the, the piece of, we clean up our own school, we clean up after ourselves and if if you don't participate in that process, you get called out. And so while we're at home, I can leverage what you've been teaching <laughs> and and remind uh, my Griffin here that uh, you know we still have our our uh, our need to keep things clean and our environment clean. But there's something about that. You're right. It accepts the the, the kids where they're at and encourages them to go uh, to go forward. And I. I 
I don't get to spend enough time in there, you know, like I've been, been able to come by a, a few occasions and every one of every, every time I do, it's, it just, it stands out for different reasons. You know, I've actually come by in the middle of the day and all the lights are off and everybody's, there's a quiet hum of work, you know, and readings happening. I've come at other times when it, when it's almost like, feels like there's a, like a food fight going on. <laughs> there's so much energy moving around the room. I had the opportunity to hear uh, Sal Khan speak at the University of Chicago, Rob, a few years before uh, before me even started at Greenfields. And I remember halfway through the, the I'll call it a lecture, I think it was more of a discussion, but it's halfway through, I, I really thought I heard the walls of the University of Chicago start to, to crack and break with what he was saying. And uh, he has this book called The One Room Schoolhouse, which I, I found was really summarizes his philosophy of education in a way that, that, I, that resonated with me. And I think that what you're accomplishing behind those walls at Greenfields is very much in line with the experiment that he's outlining in there. And uh, he has this, this phrase called ordered chaos, which is sort of like the food fight scene when I arrived at Greenfields one day. <laughs> I don't know if I saw order or chaos or a little bit of both. But it has uh, this component where learning, it can't be Swiss cheese style where, you're, you know, we're going to do botany today and then stop everything. And now it's, it's back to the algebra. And on, on. But an interdisciplinary approach. And uh, it strikes me that at Greenfields, you're working, you're striving towards that, that, that type of environment that is interdisciplinary. But for that to work, you have to, the kids have to trust the environment. They have to trust the process. Uh, they have to trust their guides, uh, and it just starts from there. And I think, uh, from from what I can tell, kids running in and out and refusing to leave. Uh, well, and I think it, I think the place that it they seems to be working. Up, yeah, I think the place they end up is trusting themselves, and I think that's the learning to learn is like a super important life skill. But if you don't trust yourself or know yourself enough about what you want to learn about or that you're able to apply those skills, then it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not going to do any good. And I, you know, it begs the question that I often sit with is, you know, what, what is the purpose of school? You know, it's like if our obligations are to, uh, to love our kids and to, to support them and get them through and to be good role models, what's the purpose of school in that world? Um, and you know, what do you look for school to be able to help as you are meeting those obligations with your daughter? When I think of education, I, I ask myself, who do I know that, that is like well-educated? What does that even, what does that mean? You know, and do I, obviously I want me to be well-educated and I want school to be a provider of that. I can't, you know, have my own business and also be in the business of, of, of homeschooling. It's just not something we're able to do as much as it sounds appealing and is happening right now. <laughs> Maybe I need to broaden my perspective. Uh, but I, I, I look around and I, when I think of well-educated people, a couple folks come to mind immediately. And, and it's interesting because one fellow in particular, who's a mentor of mine, he's got this extraordinary background of being a Rhodes scholar and, and, and a Harvard lawyer and, and, uh, you know, all of these things that, that I think would be traditionally viewed as an extraordinary education. But none of those things come to mind when I think of him as, as an educator, as my mentor. What I think about are the kinds of, he, he encourages me to write letters. And he shows me 
his process of saying thank you. We don't talk about, you know, what happened behind the hallowed walls of Oxford. We talk about what it means to maintain your contacts, right? We talk about what it means to, to build a network that's valuable, right? How to follow up, how to say uh, Happy New Year in a way that uh, gets people to want to write back and to reach out. And I get newspaper clippings from him, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Mailed to me, okay. And he, now, he, I, to your point, he's modeling, right? He's modeling he's what he's modeling. He's modeling, and so when I when I say, well, how is he well educated? And I say, well, he's learned how to. He's he's basically learned how to help me be a better me. And I think when we educate our kids and our schools, requiring you know, we want them to to create humans like that. Uh, I'm not sure that we, we have the right tools in place to to do it, but I think what you're doing at, at Greenfields is certainly on the right track. I, I've also seen, when I think of people who are, are well-educated, I, I, I think of entre- some entrepreneurs that I know and, and have the joy of representing, you know, as, as, a, as an attorney, they're small businesses. And again, I see this, this certain type of drive where they'll run up against a wall or, or a, a cratering hole opens up underneath them like COVID-19. And you get at that moment, you see education really coming into clear focus. You know, you, you see that person reach into uh, their networks, they reach into their, um, their subject matter expertise, and they, they're, they're developing a way to survive, a next step, even if, uh, if it means a, a, a whole new business model in some instances. And it's, it's inspired me, Rob, honestly, to see. And it's reminded me that a good education is one that, that, that prepares you to be resilient, I think, um, in the face of unexpected setbacks. Uh, you know, kind of learn how to fail. We're all kind of getting that message now, bouncing back and forth in our social media silos, it seems like. But uh, when rubber hits the road and I, and I have a chance to really talk to these small business owners, um, the ones that have inspired me really the most are the best educated. They have the most tools in the toolbox. Uh, and part of that is just how they were trained not necessarily where they were trained is to just remember that it, it isn't about uh, always, you know, getting the, the highest score on, on the, on the test as much as it is about being the most reliable person in the room. Our role as parents is not to make our kids be good students. Our, uh, our role as parents is to help them become good people. So, so, so I, we started the top, of the of the hour with Louis Agassi, who was a student of Alexander von Humboldt, and so I'll, I'll shoot you a little note about about that. Uh, so, so we can we can continue the discussion uh, offline. But uh, I have so appreciated what 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 you're doing, Rob, and how you're doing it. And uh, I want to be a resource for you and for the community. So, uh, and we'll get through this together. Yeah, Scott, thanks for, thanks for being on today and giving up your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, always love talking to you, your insights. And uh, somehow I should have known I was going to come out of it with a reading list from this. <laughs> and there will be a, a book report required. Because <laughs> <laughs> we are. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe and tune in next time for a fresh new episode of Education is Life.